pacemakers, balloon valvuloplasty. Balloon valvuloplasty was first performed in an English bulldog before it was ever performed in a child. And it was only because it went well that they were like, we should try this in children. It's a really rapidly changing field. There's even cases like at open heart surgery. Really remarkable things that are out there. It's definitely worth talking to a cardiologist because we have to stay up on this. It's part of staying boarded as a cardiologist. You guys are always right on the forefront of all the new advances. It's hard to get the most updated information if you can't go right to the source. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Harmon. He is a board certified veterinary cardiologist at Boundary Bay Veterinary Specialty Hospital. The amazing world of cardiology has advanced so much over the last 10 to 20 years. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of the same procedures that humans need for their hearts, like pacemakers and balloon valvuloplasties, many of those procedures are now available in pets if you see a yeah. cardiology specialist. I would say those are some of the most rewarding things for us to be able to do or, or some of these procedures. And some of it even started with us. So balloon valvuloplasty was first performed in an English bulldog before it was ever performed in a child. And it was only because it went well that they were like, we should try this in children and see how it works. And so veterinary medicine and human medicine is more alike than a lot of people realize. There's been a constant sharing of information back and forth across this group and things like the PDA occlusions. So putting these plugs into these vessels that should have gone away to help these animals basically be cured of heart disease, pacemakers that we put in animals that can ensure that they have great quality lives. It's a really rapidly changing field too, because there's things coming down the pipeline that were not previously accessible to us. In older dogs, changes to their mitral valve on the left side of their heart that make it very leaky are the leading cause of heart disease by far in dogs. There's a newer device where they can actually do a very small procedure and they shove a catheter across the heart and they can clamp the valve together so that it can't leak very much. And that can actually be super, super helpful for these animals in some situations. And then there's even cases in a couple of places in the world that get open heart surgery on dogs these days too. And actually they can repair the valves. And I've seen some pretty remarkable sort of outcomes from that as well. We've had dogs that, you know, I don't know that they would have lived another month. We were kind of maxing out everything we could do for medications. And these dogs come in for rechecks and they're like off all of their medications and they're like back to being normal again. So wow. really remarkable things that are out there and that are kind of changing the face of what we can do in vet medicine. And so it's definitely worth talking to a cardiologist because we have to stay up on this. It's part of staying boarded as a cardiologist is we have to be tested on this stuff and we have to maintain our credentials with continuing education specifically related to cardiology to be able to keep calling ourselves a cardiologist. So it's hard to get the most updated information if you can't go right to the source. Yeah. So you guys are always right on the forefront of all the new advances, all the technology. Yeah, thankfully, in this situation, it's nice that veterinary cardiology is such a small field. So, I mean, the last numbers from 2018, there were 308 total in North America. And so you end up knowing a lot of people by the end of it. So it's a very small field. So people can talk to each other really easily about things and keep each other updated on what's going on and, and what directions may be happening. So in that regard, it's actually kind of helpful to keep everybody on the same page. That's so cool. 
So your journey to becoming a veterinary cardiologist, what does that entail? So my journey started off a little bit funny. My undergraduate degree was actually in chemical engineering. And I decided fairly early on that I didn't want to be a typical engineer, that that probably wasn't where I wanted to go with it. And it was actually just kind of a freak comment from my brother about, you should become a veterinarian so I could pay you to do this instead of somebody else. (laughs) And And so I started in my second year doing all the prerequisites for veterinary school, ended up getting accepted into the University of Missouri, graduated from there, did a rotating internship at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, spent a year as an ER doctor in Michigan. Uh, My wife was a resident at Michigan State and I was just working down in Ann Arbor. And then after that was accepted into a cardiology specialty internship where I just did cardiology and did some urgent care things on the side and then was accepted into the cardiology residency at Missouri. Oh, that is so interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. Cool. So all in all, it was like another, what, like six years after graduating from yeah, vet so school before you became after, certified? After vet school, it was a one-year internship, one year as an urgent care vet, one year as a specialty intern, three years of a residency, and then two sets of boards that we have to pass to become a cardiologist uh, and wow. be able to school. So there are a lot of extra years added on beyond the vet school side, which was hard enough on its own. That is a long journey. Yeah. So much respect for putting in all the hard work in all those years. Yeah, exactly. So that you can... Uh, it was a long, arduous sort of journey. It's unfortunately, there's just not many training programs in the world for cardiology on the veterinary side of things. And so it's pretty typical that you're at least in limbo for a couple of years before you go into a residency program these days. Well, that is amazing. What does a typical caseload look like on an average day? Every day is a little bit different. So you would think being a cardiologist that we kind of just see the same cases over and over again. And some days that is true, but we tend to see more dogs than cats. I think probably 60 to 70% dogs can 30 to 40% cats. The number of cases can be pretty variable. Some days we only have about six cases. Some days we're seeing 15 cases and have extra emergencies and things that we have to do as well. So a normal evaluation would be doing things like an examination, doing an ECG to look at the heart rhythm, doing an echocardiogram to actually get an idea of what the actual diagnosis is and where we are as far as the stage of the heart disease, and then compiling all that information together and figuring out a plan that will work for this pet and this owner. And then every couple of weeks, we block off days where we get to do surgeries if we can plan them out. And they don't have to be emergency surgeries. So we can do minimally invasive surgeries where we can correct some congenital things that dogs are born with or place pacemakers or things like that. So we get a lot of variety. That is so cool. Do you have a couple cases that kind of stand out in your memory as being the most inspiring ones? Yeah, I have a couple. So one was when I was a resident. So there was a dog named Lucy. The dog was diagnosed with a condition called atrial standstill, which is an ER medicine that can be due to things like a high potassium. But in the cardiology world, if they don't have high potassium, they can just have a primary heart disease that causes it. And that can cause replacement of the muscle within the atria by scar tissue. And that can eventually lead to things like collapsing and heart failure and very low heart rates. So Lucy came in actually before I was even a vet student, when she was only about like a year and a half old, two years of age as a Labrador, and she was collapsing and they found that she had this condition. They put a pacemaker in. When I was a student, I was actually checking her when I was doing my clinical rotations. 
And then when I came back to Missouri, she was still alive and still doing really well. And she was in her older years by that point. She eventually went into starting having more episodes of heart failure. And then the last week of my residency, she passed away. So a good portion of Lucy's journey for things, but she had such a really good quality of life. And that was one of the cases I feel that was pretty instrumental for me in seeing like what we can do. I've said that with my own dog was when I was a vet student. We had a dog that was brought in to my wife who was on the cardiology rotation, who's also a veterinarian. She had a congenital heart murmur. We thought she was probably going to be something that could only live for a couple of years. And we were able to fix her and we had her for 10 years. I have personal experience on multiple levels of being able to see what we can do and the quality of life that we can give some of these animals as well. And then there's one that's more recent. There's a cat that I've been managing for several years named Angel. And Angel had come down to see me because she had had a saddle thrombus. So she had thrown a clot on her legs. And she was able to be nursed through it. So the criticalist, Dr. Jagadich, that was at Boundary Bay at the time, did a really fantastic job getting her through that, which is a trial in and of itself to get them through one of them. Got her through it. She eventually started to develop more signs of heart failure. She had a total of three saddle thrombus events that happened. And every single time she just lugged through it like a champ and did remarkably well, never really had any sort of the huge complications that we sometimes can see. Had owners that were just the most amazing at caring for her and, and the most perceptive people I've ever seen at picking up problems. And so she was honestly a testament to me as far as what animals can do if you give them a chance and if they have the right sort of environment and the, the proper care. And she was really phenomenal on how well she did. And she actually lived three years after her initial saddle thrombus event, despite all these little hiccups that we had along the way. And actually only fairly recently did we have to put her to sleep finally because she was starting to decline. But just an unbelievable case as far as how she did from where we gave a pretty bad conversation at the beginning and pretty dire prognosis of what we could be looking at to where she ended up was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, even for me, that's very inspiring. All the years of saddle thrombus, I wouldn't be able to count any good outcomes, to be honest. So yeah, saddle thrombus is there's such a is, complication in cats of heart disease and certainly there's cases that are just way too far gone and we're not going to be able to help them but certainly their owners were always like we're willing to give her a chance and if she decides that she can't do it then we'll make the decision we have to yeah and every time they give her a chance and she just rock straight through it and she's like all right angel's back to being normal again so uh, that's really, incredibly really. inspiring wow well thank you for sharing this <laughs>